This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh my God, Jack, I'm so pumped. It has been a minute since we were in the presence of Dr. Danielle Bellardo, but I, I wish, there's a huge part of me wishes we were still in the little mint cottage in Long Beach with her sitting in the, sitting in that cute little living room, but alas, we had to deal with Zoom. This is going to be, I mean, like we, we had to make this a two-part episode. There's no way around it. Absolutely. You know, with the new year coming around, we know there's all of this outside pressure to get our health on track and to, you know, all of these different platforms pushing you to start exercising more, start a different diet, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much being pushed at us. Eat the right meals, supplements, all the gab. I know. And you know, Danny and I are humans. We both at times feel these pressures too and like feel the pressure to, you know, like look better or lose weight or get healthier, blah, 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 blah. And it can just feel really exhausting. It can feel really overwhelming. And now, you know, there's all of this like outside stigma and pressure with celebrities starting Ozempic and all these drugs that we don't know about. And anyway, it is just such a freaking stressful time. And so we wanted to bring our listeners an actual expert in the field. We have board certified cardiologist, Dr. Danielle Bellardo. She is on the board of directors at the American Society for Preventative Cardiology. She's a speaker, a published researcher, and she helps see patients across the U.S. and internationally to optimize their weight and cardiovascular health through her own practice called Precision Preventive Cardiology. We love Dr. Bellardo. We know you're going to love this episode. It's going to help you sift through all the weight loss and heart-healthy facts and myths and hopefully get you feeling on the right track for 2024. This is going to be part one of a two-part series. So be sure to finish out this episode and catch us next week for part two with Dr. Bellardo. Catch you on the other side. Welcome back to the WOMED to our favorite, Dr. Danielle Bellardo. We love you so much. Guys, I love you. I'm so happy to be back. You guys are the best. I've been watching your podcasts. I've been listening. You've had so many good episodes lately, and it's just been so good. I've been nonstop watching and listening. And so um, I love your clips, too, because they really hook you. I feel like as soon as you guys post a clip, I'm like, I got to watch that episode. I got to listen to that episode. So I'm so happy to be back. I've missed you both. Oh, we've missed you so much. And we definitely need to plan another LA trip. Or maybe... Oh, just brainstorming here. What if we plan like a warm destination girls trip? Yes. Mexico. Yeah. Oh, done. South America, done. somewhere, anywhere. Yeah. Perfect. Let's do it. Because as you, as I mentioned before we were recording, it's incredibly cold here in LA right now. It's like 60. And so, <laughs> oh, you poor thing. I know. I I'm so like, sorry for you right now. 
I realized, what did you guys say? It's 20 degrees where you are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We forgive you. Yeah, we will always forgive you. Okay. So besides our upcoming girls trip and getting published in the American Journal of Preventative Cardiology. Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) That's so No big deal. No big deal. Thank so you impressive. So Thank you guys for the sweetest. How long does it take to put together something like that? So that was actually, that was probably like the most exciting thing for me. Because with research publications, they all take like a various different lengths of time. But this was really um, exciting because it was a consensus statement for our clinical practice statement. So like in cardiology and in gastroenterology and in internal medicine, any specialty, as you guys know, very well. There's always consensus statements that kind of give you the latest update and recommendations for the practice. So for the American Society of Preventive Cardiology, we decided to do a clinical practice statement, a guideline on nutrition and cardiovascular disease prevention. And it was the best experience um, I ever had in my like medical career. Because for me, you know, you grow up in medical school and med training, reading all the guidelines. And, you know, that's actually what you know, all of our testing is based off of is the guidelines and your CME is based off of the guidelines. And so I started out as the chair of the nutrition committee for the American Society of Preventive Cardiology. And then when they decided they were going to do a consensus statement, I got to be the lead author, which was so amazing because I got to invite all of the scientists and physicians that I just am so, you know, honored to have learned from, you know, people that are just huge pillars in cardiovascular disease, like Martha Gulati, who's the president of ASPC, Roger Blumenthal, who's like the head of uh, preventive cardiology at Johns Hopkins and Ron Blankstein. And we had Kevin Hall, who's the director of nutrition science from the National Institute of Health. So we had all of these, we combined uh, scientists, dietitians, and cardiologists. And then what we did over the span of a little over a year is that when you're creating a consensus statement like this, we are evaluating all the different levels of evidence that go into what you would do for a recommendation. So we're essentially, we're looking at all the randomized control trials for nutrition and cardiovascular disease prevention. And we were looking at all of the prospective cohort studies. So like the long ranging studies and then some of the preclinical data, you know, you look at all the levels of evidence and then we essentially, you know, chose different topics with nutrition um, within cardiovascular disease prevention that we thought were important to touch on, but also we wanted to add some that hadn't been in the previous guidelines before. So one thing that was new for our um, consensus statement for cardiology and nutrition was we added a pediatric cardiologist and a dietitian who specializes mm-hmm. in pediatrics. So that way we added the important part of what's called primordial prevention. So talking about mm-hmm. nutrition in childhood and how important that is, because, you know, well, even though I'm an adult cardiologist, we still treat people who are, were once a child. So, you know, you want to prevent cardiovascular disease as early as you can. And we brought that in there. And then we also discussed geriatrics, which I think is really important. We discussed, you know, some nutrition needs that are specific to people that are of an older population, like things people may not think about, like dentition, things that affect how much people are eating and malnutrition. And then the most important part that I was so excited to add in is uh, we had um, Erin Mikos on our consensus statement, and she's this amazing, brilliant, well-published cardiologist at Johns Hopkins. And she's like the queen of supplemental research. She's done some of the biggest like NIH trials for looking at supplements, cardiovascular research. And We had an entire section on supplements, which essentially says there's absolutely no supplements we recommend for cardiovascular disease prevention. 
And so it was really something I really wanted to get in there because of there's so much crazy supplement sales. Mm -hmm. Um, We evaluated all of the data, you know, we looked at it. And what's great about it is that, you know, as you guys know, I'm vegan, but I try very hard to keep my bias as much under in check as possible. I definitely by no means recommend everyone has to eat a vegan diet by any means. But what's the great thing about our papers, we had people all over the dietary spectrum. We had people that were fans of low carb diets, people that are fans of, you know, plant-based diets, people that are fans of Mediterranean diets. And the most important thing is that like collaborating on the science is that we're just strictly evaluating the evidence. And so even if you do have a bias, because we all have bias, mm-hmm. even an ivory omnivore has bias, we all have bias because we all eat, right? It's impossible not to have bias. We all eat. And it really keeps it in check when you have different areas of, you know, we have cardiologists, but we also have scientists, but we also have dietitians. And so it was really, we got a full consensus and I'm really proud of that's our, my most proud paper. And it was the most downloaded paper of that journal for the year. Congratulations. Thank you. So exciting. I guess my question building off of that, is that paper, is it easy to digest for people that aren't in medicine or where can people like really that aren't in this medical world understand the recommendations for them? Totally. And that's such a good question. And it's so applicable to actually every guideline recommendation, because even for myself personally, like, even though I'm a physician, I'm a cardiologist, I do research, I'm, you know, I'm a clinical cardiologist, I practice here in LA. And I literally, even though I am very much in the know of how to evaluate science, that being said, if it's outside of my specialty, I don't know the context of it, right? So like, if I see something on Instagram that pops up about like clean beauty or something like that, I'm easily going to fall into it because I'm not a dermatologist and I don't know the background of the clinical context of that research. And that could go for any specialty outside of mine. And so I think that when I think of the general consumer who's looking at this information, I'm like, gosh, it's so, you know, it's so unfair in many ways that we have so much pseudoscience that's just allowed to be promoted by doctors and people with the PhD and and, and MD after their name, because it's unfair that we put the burden on the patients to sort out what is fact versus, you know, what is fiction. They have to sort out what's this, you know, information, which makes it really tough. So one thing I do always recommend is, you know, whenever you hear something from a doctor or from anyone on social media, you see a headline. One thing you can always rely on now that I've been the author of one of these consensus statements, and I know how much work goes into it. And it's just really, really like rigorously evaluating different kinds of evidence to come to a consensus is that and there's by the way no you know no uh financial conflict of interest like no one in our paper had any sort of like uh, you know you have to that those are all accounted for mm-hmm. i would say for anyone whether it's for menopause right so like as all of us women in our 30s you think about it like we're going to get to the menopause stage one day and we're going to be also those victims of the misinformation because they're preying towards women and so like whether it's a question about menopause whether it's a question about high blood pressure whether it's a question about nutrition, one of the best things people can do is look up what is the general guideline in that area of medicine. And this can be tricky because the question you have, which is a great question, is, is it easy to digest? Some of it is, some of it isn't, but I truly do think that it is beneficial for people to at least take a look at it. And I mean, it's in pure English. Like it's, it's you know, it's definitely right. not, you know, some of the other guidelines may be a little more confusing, but if you're someone that has questions about it, you'll probably already know the terms you're looking at, right? So if you're a patient 
for example, even outside of nutrition, if you're a patient that is a, a woman in her late 40s getting confused about the menopause misinformation, I always say, go to NAMS, North American Menopause Society. And they have guidelines. And if they look up the guidelines, they can see what is the standard evidence-based practice for menopause. And that patient will already kind of be aware of like what the things that are being recommended. And even if they don't understand it fully, they can at least bring that to their doctor and be like, well, why aren't we doing this? Same mm -hmm. thing for blood pressure, like our cardiology guidelines, we have hypertension guidelines, cholesterol. And the reason why it's so helpful is because you can kind of see, okay, what is when people synthesize all the levels of evidence, what is the recommendation and the consensus of all the physicians and scientists in this specialty? And it kind of gives you a way to bulletproof yourself from some of the pseudoscience. Another great resource, I'm sure you guys are aware of this, is Choosing Wisely is great. Have you guys seen that? I actually mm, have not. Yeah. Choosing wisely is amazing. So like if you're a patient who's going to get like uh, you're going to the doctor and they're ordering all these crazy tests, because as you guys know, you know, if a patient has symptoms and things like that, we never, of course, I always say to everyone, you know, your symptoms are super important. You're experiencing them. They're real. They're not in your head. Like, because guess what? Even a symptom that is, you know, maybe something with mental health, that's real too. So they're all real symptoms that need to be, need to be taken seriously. That being said, over-testing, can actually be harmful too. We know there's something called like the diagnostic cascade where people go down this testing cascade and it can actually some in certain scenarios make it more harmful than beneficial. So choosing wisely has this is this great public website that can give you like kind of what is the criteria that you should need for an x-ray of this or an MRI of that. Um, because now people are getting these ridiculous. Oh, Prenuvo. the Pranuvo, like full body scans. Yeah. It's horrendous because it's not that you're just, people think, well, why? Why is it horrendous? Why am I just, I'm getting this full body scan? First of all, it's giving people false uh, sense of safety. Just because you don't see anything abnormal right now does not mean you don't have anything simmering. You know, not, not everything is seen on a, uh, a gross level in an MRI. Mm -hmm. And also, there needs to be clinical context for the interpretation of a nodule or something. You know, and so it's just, it's a big hairy area. So I always just recommend looking at the guidelines and then also choosing wise is a great, great resource for our nutrition paper. Um, it's open access. So anyone can um, read it. It's just, if you just look up Danielle Bellardo, American Society of uh, Preventive Cardiology, it'll come up and it'll just give you all of the recommendations with different dietary recommendations. You know, we talk about the data on intermittent fasting and how it doesn't show it's beneficial. You know, my thoughts on fasting are if you like it, that's great. If you don't, that's great because the data doesn't show that it helps. So it's mm -hmm. up to you, whatever works for you. And so we kind of go through the data that way. So it's very easy to understand. Sorry, that was a long tangent. <laughs> one thing I love about you though, is that like, I feel like you're one of the most ethical Aww. voices in medicine. And I feel like you've done like a lot of work in like making sure that you are non-judgmental, non-biased, like you disclose like everything. And I just commend you for that. So, so nice of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you. speaking of the like fasting and like diet fads and all that stuff, I feel like the last time we had you on, we kind of started was like the first time I had heard about, you know, Wigovi, Ozempic, semaglutide, and like all these things. And it's the new year. People are wanting to be healthier. They're looking for, you know, the next best supplement, which I love. Like the data just isn't there for <laughs> these supplements. But again, I guess if it makes you feel good and doesn't interact with any medications that you're currently on, like 
Well, sometimes <laughs> I will say what well, my only thing about supplements, the non-benign part. So being a cardiologist in California, you know, I see patients all over the state of California because I do a ton of telehealth and California is a state where we have quite a large supplement following. <laughs> yeah, you but, do. <laughs> you know, it is a very supplement heavy state. And I will say that some supplements benign and and we're talking, when we talk about supplements too, we're talking about supplements outside of deficiency. If you have a diagnosed B12 deficiency, you take a supplement. If you have a diagnosed vitamin D deficiency, you take a supplement. But sometimes the harms of people just supplementing is there's a few things. One of my biggest pet peeves is, you know, there are people who say like they went and saw, you know, a holistic healer or a naturopath or someone that just, they were anemic and they just put them on iron supplements for, you know, years and years. And, you know, then the patient will come to my practice and I'll say, wait, why are you anemic? Have you ever seen a gastroenterologist? And, you know, I've had this happen where I've seen patients and I send them to GI. Tell me more. I'm anemic. <laughs> well, you know, it's so for this patient in particular, they were getting uh, supplements for iron supplementation for a while without getting a workup of why, right? You want to know why someone is anemic. You want to work up the pathology underlying the anemia because it's, it's something you can fix. You want to fix it. And this patient had been getting supplements for years. With no underlying workup, I sent the patient to GI. They had a colonoscopy. They had, you know, stage four colon cancer. And the problem is, is that mm. had they worked up that anemia years ago, instead of just supplementing, instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it, they able to detect that early. Not all anemia, by the way. I don't want to scare you. Oh, my God. Because, like, <laughs> like Danielle knows why she has Danielle also has a specific reason for why she Well, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but like I'm still tired and I've had all the iron infusions and uh, man, you it's, it's you find your underlying cause. Like, is it heavy? Do you have heavy periods? That could be a well, cause. Well, yeah, they said like it was probably like due to heavy periods totally. and stuff like so, that. Like, in so, like, in our range, that's the like one of the most common causes of anemia is like dysfunctional uterine bleeding. So, like, just yeah. Who have heavy, heavy periods, like things like that, that can cause. And there's ways for them to help correct that too. With, I mean, that's out of my scope. But I don't want it, all your listeners to think that um, it's always colon cancer. It's not. But that's just one example of where, you know, just supplementing can be harmful. The other example that I always give too is even things like, so supplements have absolutely no, it makes me LOL that, you know, there's so many people online that'll go crazy about Oh, pharma, which I take zero money from pharma. As you guys know, I um, have a big thing on that. And so, you know, they have all these things about how, you know, oh, pharma is, you know, try is out to just make money, all these things. These supplement companies are not only out to make money, but they don't have to do anything, adhere to any rigorous testing or guidelines the same way that an FDA approved medication does. So mm -hmm. if anything, even though people think it's natural, in reality, it's actually made in a lab just the way a medication is, except instead of it being made in a lab with rigorous testing and rigorous evidence and very strict standards, it's made in a lab with absolutely no standards, very minimal standards. The What needs to be in the supplement, whether it's the inactives or actives or all the different compositions is not uniform. And there's no standardization and they don't need to prove that it's supporting any of the claims they make. And so one of the issues I see is that even outside of supplements, interacting with medications, one of the things I see a lot is there's just various kinds of supplements that cause liver injury. And one of the most common I see is turmeric. So people are taking these high doses of turmeric and they end up with elevated liver enzymes. As soon as I stop these like random uh, supplements they're on, their liver enzymes improve. Does that happen with everyone on turmeric? No, but I've seen enough people to say, 
We have no evidence that turmeric is beneficial anyway. Put it on your food. Season your food with it. That's amazing. But taking in supplement form with these high doses that are concentrated with different additives, formula, you know, mm-hmm. what's if we don't have evidence for it. So, you know, outside of a deficiency, you know, um, I take B12 and vitamin D uh, every single day. And for women of childbearing age, the recommendation is to take folic acid as well. But outside of that and outside of deficiency, the rest of the supplements can cause more harm than good. And if anything, I always say at best, at best case scenario, it's expensive urine. Worst case scenario, yeah. it can cause harm. Yeah. I remember yeah. you said that in our, the, our yeah. first episode with you. And that like, always has stuck with me. Yeah. It's like always something. But I think I interrupted you because I, I think you wanted to go into the exciting new uh, weight loss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. Well, you know, this is just the right time to kind of have this conversation around the new year when everyone is trying all these new diets and fads and seeing things right. on social media and how to lose weight. And now in 2024, we are adding in Ozempic and these medications that are much more easily or readily available for patients and for just regular people. We just like, let's jump into this topic. We want all of your thoughts and what you're recommending for people. And just what are your thoughts? Let's get into it. Uh, so you're right. So the last time we saw each other, we talked about Wegovy. I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. so much has changed since we last saw you because now we have terzepatide, which is Manjaro and Zepbound. So first starting with, uh, to me, what's, uh, so I do a ton of weight loss in my practice with regards to, um, it's, I mean, as a cardiologist, it's completely synergistic. I mean, pretty much, you know, as a cardiologist, I'm addressing the patient's whole health, but, you know, plenty of my patients who have struggled with weight for a long time, you know, we know from all the clinical trials, their cardiovascular risk factors improve drastically on a GLP-1 medication, this class of medication. So it's a big part of my practice for sure. And the thing is, is that there is lots of controversial, you know, information out there. So the first thing I always try to emphasize to people is that these medications are safe and effective when prescribed appropriately by someone who is evidence-based that is doing it correctly and for the appropriate patient. These medications are not benign in the fact that they have no risks. And therefore, the biggest concern is this advent of medical spas who are prescribing these medications willy-nilly. They're not even checking baseline creatinine, you know, a CMP, hemoglobin A1C, liver function, anything, TSH, in these patients. They're not giving them the adequate risk-benefit ratio. And then they're recommending compounding pharmacies, which are incredibly dangerous. So, you know, if we talk about compounding medications, for anyone that's listening, There's these pharmacies called compounding pharmacies in the U.S., and many of them can be very helpful in certain scenarios. There's certain scenarios like, for example, in dermatology, there's plenty of different, you know, formulations that are compounded. To me, I have no problem with that because you know what? That's you do you. But for a medication that we have that exists, that is FDA approved, and we have a real FDA approved version, do not get it from a compounded pharmacy where it is not the exact same molecule. And it is the level and standards of which these compounding pharmacies um, allow is so different than an FDA-approved medication. What's most wild to me is that in my practice, over 90% of my patients qualify for these medications. We get them covered through insurance because 
I, I do this every day, all day. I know how to get these medications covered by insurance. I can make the adequate medical recommendations. So a compounding pharmacy charges $400, $500 a month for a fake you know, bootleg version of this medication. So if you could just instead go to an evidence-based physician who is prescribing these medications appropriately and correctly, you can get the real version. And in many, 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 mm. many cases, covered by insurance. And when people say to me, well, my insurance rejected it three or four times. I mean, oftentimes that has to do with, and I don't blame the providers because I know that healthcare providers are really busy everywhere. But, you know, for us, like the vast majority of our appeals get approved because I write a strongly worded letter that cites the evidence and we've been successful that way. So for me, my view is these medications are safe and effective for the right patient, but they're being totally taken advantage of by these combination of med spas, scammy online programs that mm -hmm. are compounding uh, pharmacies. Because guess what? If you're sending someone to a compounding pharmacy, you don't need to do a prior authorization. Like there's a lot of unpaid work that goes into my practice that my staff is doing all day, every day, doing appeals, calling insurance, getting things, but we are doing it the right and safe way. The, I'll tell you a few examples of compounding pharmacies that I've seen. So patient of mine was on what's called compounded semaglutide. You know, Eli mm -hmm. Lilly uh, came out with Terzepatide, which is Monjaron Zepbound. Novo Nordis came out with semaglutide, which is uh, Ozempic and Bubobi. Um, and anyone who's listening that thinks I'm uh, a pharma shell, you can actually look up. You can go on Sunshine. You can just Google Sunshine Act. You can type my na name in, Danielle Blardo, and you can see I've taken $0 from pharma. So this is my completely unbiased opinion on this topic. But the pharmaceutical companies are incredibly frustrated that they are being able to, you know, they don't even know how they're getting a version of this molecule. And wow. um, and, and so it, it is crazy. And so this is a subcutaneous injection, right? So this is not a topical cream you're putting on your face. This is something you are injecting in your body. And they are giving them in these, like, form. when I see the pictures online of what they're getting them in from these uh, med spas, it's just bonkers to me. It just doesn't follow the same sterility. And I mean, you guys are nurses, you know, that's like, it's just, there's just no part in, in my mind that I could imagine injecting something that does not come from like an FDA approved, you know, oh, um, especially like an injection makes me so yeah. like, once it's in, it's in every like, yes, exactly. you can you just stop wipe, taking, you can't wipe it off. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, so say you uh, go to a compounded pharmacy and you get compounded like tretinoin with azelaic acid or something. Guess mm -hmm. what? If they mess up the formulation and it burns your face, you can wipe it off. This once it's injected, it is in your body, right? Yeah. So I have seen patients who have come to see me and said, I've been on semaglutide for six months. I haven't lost a single pound. They've been paying $500 a month for their semaglutide for six months, haven't lost a pound. We switch them to actual real semaglutide. We go via Ozempic. Your container does not say Wegovi or Ozempic. It is not real. It is wow. a bootleg version. We switch them to this. Guess what? Guess what happens? All of a sudden they start to lose weight. So that's the best case scenario is that people have just wasted their money. The worst mm -hmm. case scenario is the patients I've seen that have been on compounded versions that have gotten insanely sick. They've had irretractable nausea, vomiting, and they have ended up, you know, having to go to the hospital with acute kidney injury, things like that. And so have you, you know, I hate to interrupt you, but really quick, have you seen like excessive vaginal bleeding by any chance? Because I have a colleague who had a patient and the only thing we could trace back 
was potentially she started on some sort of ozempic ish yeah no never medication and was having excessive oh. like like dangerous vaginal bleeding gosh yeah no never there's nothing okay <laughs> but but that's the thing it's like yeah. you don't know you don't know you don't know and it's something you know that's the important thing about like post marketing research and everything once everything's uh, FDA approved is that's that's the thing is that once everything's FDA approved it's not like okay, the medication's released and we just stop watching it. I mean, there are like very strict guidelines for surveillance and monitoring mm-hmm. of medication once they're FDA approved. There is not that for compounded medications. And so that's the issue. And so, um, yeah, so that's my take on why people should just, at the end of the day, it's way easier for a slimy med spa or practice or whatever to just recommend a compounded version because guess what? Instead of having their staff spend hours doing prior authorizations and fighting insurance, they can just prescribe it and they're done. But you know what? Mm-hmm. It's way worth it to get it done the right way, the ethical way. And for me, that's what I believe. Because I do believe that these medications are incredibly safe and effective when used appropriately. So every time I see in the news, there's always like a headline. This person had a bowel obstruction from Ozempic. Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Whenever I look into it, almost every single time when I look into these cases, it is one of these cases where they were going to a place that was just kind of prescribing it willy-nilly. The doses weren't scaled based on the FDA dosing protocol. And it was like either from a compounded pharmacy or it wasn't being handled correctly. That's the issue is that, you know, I have had knock on wood, but I have had zero patients have to discontinue the medication due to adverse reactions. And I've had zero patients have any adverse reactions from these medications because we do it safely and by the evidence. And so, yeah, that's my pitch for why people just have to be careful when they're a consumer of this medication to just go to someone that's evidence-based. Well, you bring up like such a like huge valid point there with, I know I've had like a couple of friends that like, oh no, you can go to this one website, they're telehealth docs and they don't make you weigh yourself in front of them. Like, so it's like, okay, but then are they dosing you for whatever weight you've lied and told them to, which is probably not like a safe, like first starting dose of this compounded medication like and that's the other issue too is that if someone is like lying about their weight like you think about it when um because i do a ton of telehealth so i will say that like you know technically could a patient lie about their weight yes but the issue is that when we submit to insurance their insurance knows from other things that they have had submitted if the patient's you know bmi Mm -hmm. is is 19 and they all of a sudden have a uh, medication you know submission with a note that says their bmi is 27 it's going to get, you know, found out. But that's why if you send someone to a compounded pharmacy or through these med spas, you you don't have to pass any of the, it's just like, you know, do not stop pass go mm-hmm. and just, you know, it, they can just do it. And and you're right, there's a huge, for as much as these medications are beneficial for many patients, there's of course those, those risks of being overused um, and abused. Yeah, and it just, it scares me a little bit because like, I feel like I'm hearing so much the waif look is back in. I'm like, how did we go from being like strong and healthy to like back to the 90s when people were starving and on cocaine? Like, A, this is not heart healthy. (laughs) And, And B, that's not good for anybody. So true. So true. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed part one with Dr. Danielle Bellardo. Thank you so much for tuning in. Can't wait to catch y'all next week for part two. On that note, WOMED out. out.